What do you think of when I say urban legends? The hook hand scratching on cars parked in Lover's Lane? Or the car behind you that's following you and flashing their high beams at you so the bad guy in the back seat stays hidden? Or the babysitter who's getting threatening phone calls from inside the house? Or with the recent horror movie reboots, do you think of Candyman or Bloody Mary? This is Two Girls in a Campfire, and I'm Allison. And I'm Sarah. And this week, we're going to be talking about urban legends. Yay! I'm so excited. Oh, do you remember, it was like elementary or middle school, and it was the book of urban legends, and it had like the skull with like the pipe, like he was smoking a pipe. No, I don't remember that. The only scary books I remember from elementary school were scary stories to tell in the dark. Oh, that's a good one. I actually think they took that book and like made it into some sort of like mini series, but I don't know. Oh, we'll have to Google it. Uh, yeah, I just, that was the book. That was like the first scary book that I really remember having as like a kid. And I kept checking it. I would check it out from the library like over <laughs> and over again. Oh, that's funny. All right. Um, I think I'm going first today, right? Yeah. All right. So since urban legends are a little shorter, we are both going to tell two. So my first one is on Lake Lanier. Do you know anything about that? No, I don't. Yay. Months and months ago, I actually saw a TikTok about it and I was like, what the hell? It's the, it's the book. Yeah, oh. see, but it's, he's got the pipe. Oh. I didn't know that's what it was called. <laughs> so we were telling each other the same thing. So Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark does have a skull smoking a pipe on the cover. That's hilarious. But when my kids, this was probably like five, six years ago, I actually bought them all three of those books too. So they could be scared oh. as I was, you know, that's share them fun. all. You're a good mom. Yay. That's so funny that that's what you were talking about. Have you watched the movie? No, see, that's why I was like, didn't they make it into a movie or a miniseries or something? I think it's on HBO Max. If you don't have it, I'll give you my login. It's it's pretty good. I was pleasantly surprised by it. Okay. All right. Well, I will definitely check that out. <laughs> okay. So Lake Lanier, I saw a TikTok video about it and like, I was like, what the hell? So when we said we were doing Urban Legends, I was like, yeah, I have to look that up. So The lake was created in the 1950s by flooding valley communities. And of course, if you have a community, you have a cemetery, right? So since the cemetery got flooded, it fueled beliefs that it's cursed. Historians say that there might have been unmarked graves and that there's possibilities that they didn't get recovered. The stories about mysterious underwater sightings are eerie, especially in Halloween, but the backstory about Lake Lanier is pretty interesting. So I'm going to do that a little bit first. The government started offering to buy land from the farmers and residents of the nearby towns. Most of these people were kind of against selling because one, it's the government. And when has the government not fucked you over when they wanted to buy your land? And two, (laughs) right. (laughs) And two, most of these people had lived there for generations. So they had this farmhouse that's been in their family and they're undecided about how much they should sell it for, you know, actual worth versus like, you know, sentimental value. But eventually 700 families sold a total of 56,000 acres to the government and they built a dam on the Chattahoochee River, and that's what formed the lake. So this is in Georgia. I don't think I said that. 
as their land filled with water in 1956, all of the locals that had sold, they were all up on the roads and bridges and they watched as pretty much history vanished before their eyes. Whatever they had abandoned was covered by the rising waters. So from day one, they've had issues with this. At first, nobody wanted to sell their land. And now that they have the lake, they're having issues with naming it. So some of the local officials want to name it after a Georgia politician. Others want to name it after some football coach. Eventually, they decide to name it after Sidney Lanier, an 18th century Georgia poet who wrote Song of the Chattahoochee. So that's how it got its name. And to prepare the land to be filled with water, the Army Corps of Engineers demolished or moved anything that they thought would be dangerous. So they were uprooting trees and hauling them away, barns and like stuff made out of wood that they were worried would start floating. Uh, they were taken out of there and stuff like bridges and waterways were relocated because even when they're making this lake, they're assuming that it's going to be like some big destination and people are going to come and swim and boat and all of that there. So like I said, they had a, they had a cemetery. So when the Corps of Engineers was out there, you know, going through stuff, they moved any marked graves they could find. But like anywhere, there's plenty of like family cemeteries that might not have been marked. Also, like 70 years ago, we don't have like ground penetrating radar and stuff like that. So if it wasn't obvious on the ground, then it didn't get moved. So it's kind of probable that there are human rains down there in the bottom of the lake. Um, it might've been from the antebellum civil war periods or even like Native American. One historian thinks that some of the unmarked graves were left behind because they had no family to claim them. And I thought that was super sad. That is sad. So some people say that they can hear church bells from deep in the lake, which that one is kind of bogus because one, they weren't keeping like tall structures. So there's no way that like a church steeple would still be there. And also they weren't going to leave like a giant church bell. Like that would be worth money. So they had hauled it out. One creepy thing though, and this is not urban legend related, it's just lake related. So whenever there's levels, I mean, whenever there are droughts, the water level drops a lot. And so you get to see like submerged roads and like tires and crap. You can all see them. So I thought that was pretty interesting. That's super cool. There's actually a lake up in Northern Colorado that used to be a town that this kind of similar thing happened. But because we've been in a drought for like 20 years, like people are going and exploring and finding like dishes and like personal items. And it's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's super awesome. People who go diving there, they report creepy sightings. Some, <laughs> one of those weird animal sightings was catfish that were as big as like a Volkswagen bug. Oh, apparently, <laughs> yeah. Apparently dead bodies also make fish radioactive. <laughs> right. Um, and apparently, and I didn't go look because I don't love YouTube, but I guess there's tons of videos with like divers and they go down and they look at like sunken houseboats and like debris and all kinds of stuff down there. So another thing that makes Lake Lanier kind of creepy between 1994 and October of 2020, 203 people have died in drownings and boating accidents. That's, that's a lot of people. That is a lot of people. So there was in 2017, he was a diver of the river or the lake, um, Buck Buchanan, 
He told local media that sometimes he feels body parts in the lake when he's out diving. He says, you reach out into the dark and you feel an arm or a leg and it doesn't move. <laughs> I'm like, what? This guy goes diving without a light? Like, that seems really <laughs> unsafe. And you should probably fucking turn your flashlight if you think you're holding dead people's hands. Like, what the fuck? Right? I was like... I mean, I can't imagine going diving, period. But, like, in the dark without a light, like, come on. Although yeah, the lake. You the have lake, to have a light. <laughs> yeah. The lake is super murky because of, like, you know, the houses and stuff that got flooded. But still, none of this has affected the lake's popularity at all. They get 12 million visitors a year. And it's one of the most visited man-made lakes in the nation. And so, just for reference... There are actually 464 lakes that are in 43 different states that they've made. Yeah, they just keep fucking flooding small towns. Right? And the fact that they have so many visitors on one hand is kind of the reason they have so many fatalities as well. But it doesn't matter. People are still going to make up stories about it. This is my favorite story of all the ones. And it's probably the most popular one um, and it involves a car wreck and that brings us to the lady in the lake so in 1958 just two years after the bridge opened Delia Parker Young and Susie Roberts sped out of a gas station without paying on their way to the nearby town of Dawsonville so as soon as I read that I was just thinking like Thelma and Louise and like these two teenagers are out running around and I kind of left it right yeah like we don't have any money for gas this before <laughs> they made you pay ahead of time. <laughs> That's because of you. Thanks a lot, guys. So as the faint glow of their headlights um, from her 1954 Ford sedan, they were two rebels on the run headed to Three Gables Roadhouse, and they never made it home. 18 months later, a local fisherman would spot the decomposing body of a woman beneath Jerry D. Jackson Bridge. In what must have been fucking terrible, the body floated on the lake surface. It was missing two toes from its left foot, and it had its arms spread out, and it was missing both hands. Ew. Yeah. So did it happen from the wreck, or were those, like, monster-ass catfish out there eating them? It's not really a surprise, but they couldn't identify the body. She went unidentified. But even then, uh, locals near Dawsonville were already convinced of its identity. The mysterious body had to be Delia Parker Young. They knew it was Delia, they said, because dozens of drivers on State Route 53 had seen her after she vanished, appearing as a ghostly, handless apparition wandering down the highway in a blue dress. The ghost appeared to be lost, they said, almost as if she was searching. But for what, no one could say. Her fucking hands. She's looking for her hands. (laughs) (laughs) there you go she's like where the fuck did my hands go can't hitchhike without a thumb (laughs) yeah she was fucked right so decades passed as her legend like grows into like you know that local kind of myth where the high school kids are like hey let's go out and you know go see the lady of the lake for sure yeah so it, it becomes you know one of those crazy like rites of passage and like everybody's doing it And, you know, some go to school swearing they see her. By November of 1990, Susie Roberts was pretty much all but forgotten. And the mysterious body that was found by that fisherman was resting in an unmarked grave. For all practical purposes, there was little evidence left from the final ride of that Ford sedan. 
but then something crazy happens. So years of wear and tear had finally caught up with that Jerry D. Jackson bridge as work began on renovations that would expand and refit the bridge. Construction workers dredging the bottom of the lake made a startling discovery. Dun, dun, dun. Filled with mud, half buried on the lake's bottom, they found the twisted wreckage of a 1954 Ford. The body, the bones, sorry, the bones of Susie Roberts were still inside. Dental records soon verified her identity and the discovery made national headlines. Finally, after 34 years, residents of Northeast Georgia had a definitive answer to their mystery. Susie Roberts and Delia Parker Young had run off the road high atop the Jerry D. Jackson Bridge. So the unmarked tomb was relabeled with Delia's name and the Lady of Lake Lanier. Some say you can still find her wandering the back roads of State 53, slowly making her way from Dawsonsville to the top of the old bridge. Yay! And that's Lady of the Lake and Lake Lanier. Wow, that's a good one. I didn't know anything about that. I feel like there's a lot of urban legends about like some lady walking down the side of the road, but they usually have their hands. That's cre- that creeps me out for some reason. That <laughs> <laughs> she has no hands. <sighs> I know it's in Georgia. It's um, in Georgia, outside of kind of like Atlanta. So I'm like tempted to tell my sister to go there. Yeah, maybe next time we visit, we'll have to go to Georgia. I've never been to Georgia. I was gonna say I think Atlanta is like a four-hour drive. We could go drive down there. Fun. All right. Well, I have a story about an urban legend here in Denver, Colorado. Awesome. Yeah, this one, this one was kind of crazy. So in 1941, an elderly man was found savagely beaten to death in his own home. The neighbors actually found him because they hadn't seen him out and about, you know, he was kind of a real friendly guy. They hadn't seen him in a while. So, and they had invited him to like this dinner party and he didn't show up. Very unusual. So the neighbors go looking for him and his name was Philip Peters and they find him just bludgeoned to death in his kitchen. The police quickly determined that um, Philip had died from a skull fracture But they couldn't figure out any kind of motive. They didn't have any suspects. Uh, This was a really well-liked person in the neighborhood. And he was married, but his wife had actually been in the hospital during the time that all this happened. Can you imagine, like, being sick and in the hospital and then you find out, oh, your husband was killed at home. Hope you feel better. That's terrible. Terrifying, right? So all of the reports say that scores of detectives were assigned to the case. So it's probably one dude. (laughs) (laughs) Right in the 1940s, they're like, there's three people that work here and two of us are busy. So I need you to go do it. (laughs) Exactly. So anyway, so detectives are on it. They're really stumped. They, like I said, this guy had no enemies and he was beaten so badly that bloodstains were found on the ceiling in different rooms throughout the house. Oh, my God. Like, the guy, like, fucking chased him around as he beat him? That's terrible. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's pretty crazy, right? Blood splatter on the ceiling? You're like, what is going on? How fucking hard did you hit that guy? Yeah. For about nine months, they just, they have no leads. They can't figure it out. But then in July of 1942, they get their first lead. A woman who had been hired to come in and kind of clean up 
the house, uh, help the help the now widowed wife, you know, with household duties. Um, she had been hearing really strange noises and she couldn't really pinpoint where the noises were coming from. It just kind of freaked her out. And so one day she came into work and she's walking down the hallway and a door in the hallway slowly started to open. No. Yes. And a thin white hand like snuck out like in between the, you know, the crack in the door. No. Run. Right? Like run away. <laughs> as soon as the door started to open, like I wouldn't even seen the hand because I already been like peace out and like outside. Doors don't open right. by themselves. So she, exactly. So she freaks out. She screams. And then she reports to the detectives that she heard somebody like footsteps running away. The, the detectives come back to the house. They do a whole other investigation. They can't find anything. They think this woman's kind of just off her rocker a little bit. No. Also, how's the wife still live there? It's like if my husband got killed in our house, like. I don't know. That'd be the first thing I did was move out. Right? Like, especially because it wasn't solved. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think probably she was too old to really, where, like, where are you going to go? I don't know. She was sick. <laughs> yeah. It was the 40s. So later that month, so later in July, they, um, two policemen had been tasked with keeping a watch over this house. And basically, they were assigned to keep an eye out for a ghost. They think that this, what this, what the cleaning lady saw, what everybody's hearing in the house, they think it's a ghost. You know, just those hysterical women, you know, they just can't handle it. Yeah, exactly. Also, I love that in the 40s, the police officers were like also paranormal investigators, right? Like by proxy. They're like, go sit. They had nothing better to do. Let's go look for ghosts. Two policemen um, that are keeping watch for this ghost. They're in the house on July 30th. And they hear a noise like upstairs. They start poking around and they open a door on the top floor. And one of the policemen sees a pair of dangling legs. Oh my God. Like dangling from the ceiling. So one of the police officers freaks out and like runs out of the house because he's so scared. The he's other a smart one. Right. <laughs> the other police officer, like, goes towards the legs and he ends up grabbing them just before they kind of disappear up into the ceiling. And he pulls down what was later described as the strangest looking human being he had ever seen. Who he pulled down was a 59-year-old man named Theodore Coney. And he had been living in the Peters's attic for years, like literally years. And he had accessed it through an unlocked panel in one of, in the home's crawl space that, that led to the outdoors. So, you know, sometimes you see those old houses that have like a little door kind of up where the attic would be on the outside of the house. Yeah. This was originally, I'm not an architect, but what I have found is that like in different houses, like it's there for different reasons. And a lot of the times it was for ventilation. And so people would leave it unlocked and like kind of open and close it for ventilation. And so basically this guy crawled into these people's house from outside and are living in their attic. Theodore Coney, he had been introduced to the Peters as a boy. Like he, like he knew who they were like his whole life. And he kind of, 
he was kind of like a vagabond. He like lived on the streets. He's basically like a homeless guy. And in the winter of 1941, when it got really cold, he went ahead and decided that he was going to move in full time into this crawl space. Like he had used it on and off throughout the years. No, what the fuck? Right. (laughs) So he resided in a space that was just 27 inches high and 57 inches wide until Philip came home one day in October and found him making a sandwich in the kitchen. (laughs) And so that is Theodore Cody freaked out and ended up bludgeoning him to death because he did not want to be found in the space, obviously. Why was he like the weirdest looking human? Yeah. So he was incredibly thin. The cop described that his skin color was the color of an overcast gray sky. Ew. And because he apparently he was thin and then also his like skin just kind of hung like off him. There is a picture that I will post. (gasps) It's kind of hard to see, but there was like a a picture from the newspaper that year. That's awesome. Yeah. There, Theodore Coney was arrested and then ended up taken to jail, but he escaped. Of course he did. Somehow, probably because he was, right? Like he's so used to getting in and out of these tiny spaces. So he escaped and was never found again. No! And so. He's probably living in my (laughs) attic right now. Great. So the legend has been that when you hear weird noises in your house in Denver that you know don't check the crawl space alone it could be Theodore Coney there to beat you to death that's terrifying right so I just I love that because it was like I feel like it's an urban legend but also it was like a real guy that like they found and arrested and then he just disappeared again yeah, that's the worst part is that he fucking disappeared again. Like, if he had just stayed in jail and, you know, died an old man or whatever, I don't think, like, the urban legend wouldn't be as good. Exactly. Although, just the thought of a normal person, theoretically, living in your house unknown, like, that's fucking scary enough. Yeah, it was. I did, So, there was a movie I watched years ago, and it was a foreign film, so it was subtitled. But it was basically this guy lived next door to a blind woman like it was um like a duplex kind of thing and he had like dug a hole from his house over into her house and so he he disappeared and like his family like reported him missing and everything and in the movie he's like living in this woman's house but she's blind so she can't see him but like, so she'll be like on the couch watching TV and then like, he's and like, he just casually strolls by yeah, going, like, he's like, a fucking sandwich. Yeah. He's like standing behind the couch, watching the watching TV. Show. That freaked me out so much that like my house is three stories right now. And sometimes I like, it freaks me out. I'm like, what if somebody's living here? We have dogs. So I do have dogs. They would notice. Yeah, I don't know. They're like my dogs. They're dipshits, so maybe not. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, my dogs bark at everything except probably the things that I'm like, why aren't you barking at that? <laughs> yeah, they're sitting there barking at the squirrels, and you're like, but not the stranger that's standing here. Good job. That was a good one. I really like that. Yeah, people living in the walls freaks me out. 
as it should. All right. So my next urban legend is about Goody Cole. So this first little bit is from the book In Myths and Legends of Our Own Time by Charles M. Skinner. And I just thought it was, it feels very Halloween-y. So I'm going to read that part first. Goodwife Eunice Cole of Hampton, Massachusetts was so vehemently suspected to be a witch that she was arrested in 1680 for the third time and was thrown in the Ipswich jail with a chain on her leg. She had a mumbling habit, which was bad, and a wild look, which was worse. The death of two calves had been charged to her sorceries, and she was believed to have raised the cyclone that sent a a party of merrymakers to the sea bottom off the Isles of Shoals for insulting her that morning. Some said that Goody Cole took the shapes of eagles, dogs, and cats, and that she had the aspect of an ape when she went through the mummeries that caused Goody Marston's child to die. Yet, while she was in the Ipswich jail, a likeness of her was stumping around the graveyard on the day when they buried the child. For such offenses, including making bread ferment, I'm like, that's not a thing? Like, who doesn't like fucking sourdough? Come on. Uh, You're a witch. (laughs) My bread is sour. (laughs) This is too delicious. What are you doing? And for giving forth evil odors. I'm like, this is the Puritan time. Do we take showers yet? Everybody fucking stinks. Yeah, everybody smells bad. (laughs) She was several times whipped and ducked by the constable. Did you sit in the ducking stool when we went to the crime museum? I think I did, yeah. So I'll have to post those pictures because just hearing that, I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? But then I remembered. So it's like this weird wooden chair that you sit in and they literally like duck you underwater. Like duck your head underwater and drown you. Yeah, like goes backwards. Yeah, it's like an early waterboarding kind of. At last she lay under sentence of death in the Ipswich jail for Anna Dalton declared that her child had been changed in its cradle and that she hated and feared the thing that had been left there. Her husband Ezra had pleaded with her in vain. Tis no child of mine, she cried. Tis an imp. Don't you see how old and shrewd it is? How wrinkled and ugly? It does not take my milk. It is sucking my blood and wearing me to skin and bone. I feel like most mothers probably feel that way. (laughs) This is called postpartum depression. Like all babies are wrinkly. (laughs) Right? Thankfully, her husband Ezra decides to pray over her. And as sunlight streams into their little house, recognition blooms on her face. and she embraces her baby and everything's fine. They go and tell the constable and they let Goody Cole be released from jail. So dark suspicion hung about the bedlam to the last and she died as she had lived alone in her little cabin. Even after her demise, the villagers could could with difficulty summon courage to enter her cot and give her burial. Her body was tumbled into a pit hastily dug near her door and a stake was driven through her heart to exercise the powers of of evil that possessed her in life. So I just thought that little story was very interesting. So here's a little bit more facts. So she was born in 1590 in England and she died in October of 1680 in Hampton, New Hampshire. And her first name was Eunice, but she was better known as Goody Cole. And I can't remember, it's been too long since we did 
the Scarlet Letter and the Crucible stuff, but Goody is like Mrs. or Widow or something. I can't remember exactly. I thought it was like if you're an old maid kind of thing. Well, she had been married, so oh. she wasn't a maid. Okay. But so I was thinking maybe widower because her husband had died before she did. Okay. It's something like that, though. So she was formally accused of witchcraft three times in her life. The first in Boston in 1656, when several townspeople testified against her. Uh, she was once convicted for trying to lure a girl into her hut by speaking through a dog, a cat, and an eagle. She was in prison until 1660, but was released until 1662 when she was returned to prison. And then she stayed in prison till sometime between 1668 and 1671. So then she gets acquitted because Anna decides that she loves her baby. Um, And then she's accused again in 1673 and 1680. So they didn't actually indict her, but they just kept her in prison because apparently they just didn't know what the fuck to do with her. I mean, you think she would just fucking move, like, when they let you out, like, go away. Run! Run away! (laughs) Well, that's the problem. So, apparently, she likes to curse out her neighbors. One threat a neighbor testified in court led to the death of two of his cattle, and then she told another citizen that she wished his calves would eat poisonous grass and die. Then the calves were never seen again. The cows were never seen again? Missing cows? That never happens. Cows stay (laughs) home all the time. She also said that she knew there was a witch in town and that she knew of a bewitched person who had turned a man into an ape. So she's here talking shit, which is really, I think, the most the real problem. Yeah, she's not she's not your puritanical model housewife of the 1600s. (laughs) Exactly. So upon her death in 1680, There's a few theories about what happened. So one was that they just kind of threw her in an unmarked grave. And they do believe it's somewhere near the Tuck Museum, which is in um, New Hampshire. Local legend suggests that a stake was driven into her body in order to, quote, exercise the baleful influence she was supposed to have possessed. And then, because that wasn't enough, they hang a horseshoe on the stake, you know, just to be on the safe side. Another theory was they threw her off a cliff into the sea, and a third says she was buried on the land that had once been her own 40-acre farm. But fun facts, that property was taken by the town of Hampton in order to pay for the cost of keeping her in jail. Oh, there's that government for you again. Right? (laughs) She's like, I don't want to be in jail. And they're like, well, you keep going, so we're going to take your land to pay for it. That's crazy. So Goody Cole was much maligned. Hampton historian Joseph Dow referred to her as ill-natured and ugly, artful and aggravating, malicious and revengeful, but certainly not a witch. But I mean, if you're going to talk to me and treat me like shit, I'm probably going to be a little ill-natured and fucking aggravating too. Like, what the fuck? She wasn't very smart, like we said. So the town she lived in, she could be stripped and lashed in public square just for arguing with a town official. The crime of Eunice Cole was that she simply would not shut up. She stood up for her rights in an era when she had none. So pretty much she was that lady that nobody wanted to deal with. So 300 years later, and people are still blaming Goody Cole for the misfortune of Hampton's citizens. 
it totally reminds me of the Fear Street movies that they just made. Like, let's just blame this witch for our shitty lives, right? And not our, you know, choices yeah. that we're making. Don't take any personal responsibility. It's just a 300-year-old legend that's making me <laughs> crazy. That's why I can't get a job. God damn it, Goody Cole. So there's an example. A boat full of Hampton residents overturned and everyone on board drowned, even though they were within swimming distance of the shore. So people blamed Goody Cole for the crash and for cursing the passengers by having them forget how to swim. So after 1938, there has been many sightings of a mysterious old woman wandering the streets of Hampton. One was even reported by a part-time Hampton police officer whose name was Harold was Harold Fernald. In 1963, he talked the city into erecting a large erosion stone, which is like this just giant ass rock, outside the Tuck Museum, which sits on the presumed site of Goody Cole's farm. He did it, he says, to allow Goody's soul to find peace and quiet. 300 years of mocking disrespect and exploitation was enough for any woman. And that Tuck Museum now has um, an exhibit that tells the story of Goody Cole and her not being a witch. Yeah, I'm sure that, you know, a little statue is going to really make up for all the persecution. (laughs) Well, and that's the thing. It's literally a fucking rock, and then it has, like, this little plaque, and it's, like, in memory of Goody Cole. And I'm like, that's not enough. I hope she really is fucking haunting you guys. All better. (laughs) I have a picture of it, too, so I'll post that of this, like, giant-ass rock. It's kind of random, but All right, that's Goody Cole. What's your next story? That's funny. So my next urban legend, and this is one that I have actually experienced. No. Yeah, so I'm actually really super excited about this one. So uh, I spent on my, basically like my elementary and middle school years in Hawaii. That's where I grew up. And I was always super fascinated because there's a lot of, there's a lot of history in Hawaii, right? There's a lot of like, the old Hawaiian history and legends. And it's like really part of the Hawaiian people and their culture. And I've just always really loved that. So the, this is, um, this urban legend is the love legend of the Lehua flower. And it starts off with the volcano goddess Pele. She ended, she fell in love with a dashing warrior named Ohia. But Ohio was already betrothed and in love with another woman named Lehua. Pele was not about it. And the legend is, is that she exploded with anger, which means a volcano erupted. Mm-hmm. So she explodes in this in jealous rage and she turned Ohio into a tree so that he would always be stay put. When Lehua found out that this is what had happened to her lover, she was devastated and she was heartbroken and her heartbreak, because it was so just sincere that she really loved him, it caught the attention of the other gods. And so they took pity on her and they changed her into a flower that would grow on the Ohio tree. Oh, uh, the Ohio and Lehua's symbolic relationship continues to live on. And the legend is, is that if you pick this flower, it's a really gorgeous, really kind of bright orangish red flower. I'll post a picture of it. Um, if you pick this flower, 
it will begin to rain because Lehua is so devastated that you took her away from her her beloved. Oh. So <laughs> when I was probably, I believe I was in the fourth or fifth grade, we had gone on a field trip, this kind of like hiking field trip. Along the path, there were these really beautiful like Ohio, Ohio Lehua trees. And I didn't know anything about the legend. And of course, and so I ended up picking one of the flowers. No. I, yes. I like I, <laughs> they didn't tell I'm a kid, right? They didn't tell us not to pick the flowers. <laughs> and so I picked the flower and I just remember getting like so much heat from it. Like everybody in my class was like lost their shit. <laughs> yeah. Like giving me a really hard time. Right. Here I am this little like white girl and there's all these, you know, these Hawaiian kids that had grown up, they knew this legend. And I was just kind of like, oh, well, I'm really sorry. I didn't know. No kidding. 10 minutes to the second after I picked that flower, it started raining. That's nuts. It was clear blue skies and then just like pretty much like a torrential downpour. And we had to cut the field trip short. Good job, Sarah. (laughs) You ruined everything. I did. Everybody was super mad at me. And I, you know, obviously I didn't know anything about it. And so the teacher, she was a really lovely woman. Her name was Mrs. Gonzalez. Um, She actually on the bus, on the way back to school, she like told me the legend. And of course, after I knew the legend, I just felt like awful. (laughs) So yeah. So I never picked another one of those flowers, but That's a super cute one. So when we were doing national parks, I was actually looking at Volcano National Park and I didn't have like enough for like a whole story, but I just think it's funny because Pele says that if you take any of her lava rock, she'll fucking curse you. And so the fucking post office near Volcanoes National Park has a full on room where they put all the shit that people mail back to them because they're like, hey, I took this rock and now my life fucking sucks. Here, have it back. And I just thought that was so interesting that like so many people after the fact were like, oh, I should have done that. Well, yeah. I mean, that's a true thing too. Uh, You know, volcanic rock is not supposed to leave the islands. So there, there have been a lot of stories. I remember hearing a lot of stories growing up that, of people that had taken volcanic rock or even sometimes sand. Like if there's volcanic rock in the sand, you know, a lot of tourists like take sand home um, that, yeah, that like you will feel the curse of Pele. And she's a very like revengeful, yeah. angry goddess. So a lot, there's a couple other parts. I think that she is also other legends that she's a part of. That's awesome. Yeah. This episode was awesome. I liked all of our stories. Yeah. So don't swim in Lake Lanier. Lanier. And don't pick flowers in Hawaii. <laughs> don't be a grouchy old lady. Yeah. Don't be a grouchy old lady. And, don't live um, in somebody's fucking house. That's not always <laughs> Always check your crawl space if you notice your sandwich fixings are getting low. <laughs> We blame those on the kids, but maybe not. Like, we better check that out. Yeah, I mean, you do live in Tennessee, so there could be somebody in there. All right. What are we talking about next week? Oh, I'm not sure. I think we decided, but I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Ghost stories, right? Ghost stories, yes. We are going to do ghost stories. I'm excited excited for that one. Um, And then we're going to have a little bonus episode on Halloween, but 
that'll be a surprise. So you'll have to wait and find out what we talk about on that episode. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Make sure that you check us out on social media, the number two girls and a campfire, Facebook, Instagram, check out our website, send us an email, whatever you want. Rate, review, subscribe. Yeah. And we'll see you around the campfire. campfire.